So one of my best friends in college, he grew up as a just diehard fan of the university that we attended. He uh, grew up a huge Mississippi State Bulldog fan. In fact, here's a picture of us at the College World Series about a decade ago. You can see him there with his maroon proudly on. And uh, just for reference, I did not grow up a fan of Mississippi State University, but he, like, I saw his childhood bedroom. It was wall-to-wall maroon and bulldog logos. I mean, he was a fanatic as a kid. But he told me that when he was young, every time State lost a game, no matter the sport, he would cry. And I don't know if you know anything about Mississippi State, but they are not typically good at sports. So that sounded like a terrible childhood, constantly crying over losing. But the thing was, he, he truly believed in his little heart that they were good. And he expected them to win, and they never did. So it broke his heart. When we call something good, when we believe something is good, it, we expect it to matter, to make a difference. What I want you to see this morning is that to call Jesus good is to depend on his goodness. To call Jesus good is to depend on his goodness that we should expect as we've been singing all morning that Jesus is good, that that would actually make a difference in our lives. But we find that if we're not relying on Jesus, we often end up relying on something else, often ourselves. And last week, Emily Hamilton told us that trust in anything other than Jesus is toxic to our souls. Now, what does that look like? Today, we have a story in the Bible where we see that very truth play out before our eyes. And so we are in Mark chapter 10. If you have one of these journal Bibles, I'm going to ask you to make some marks in there. If you are a guest and you don't have one of these journal Bibles, we have plenty. Our ushers would love to drop one off if you raise your hand. They'll drop one off for you as we follow along in this text. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. It says, And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, he's making his way towards Jerusalem, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So let's stop right there. And our text says a man ran up and knelt before him. But what we know from looking at this story and the same story in the other gospel writings is that he's a rich, young, religious ruler in Judaism. And so what I would like you to do is, if you have one of these journal Bibles, let's circle this little subtitle that says, The Rich Young Man, and out beside it write, Ruler. Because I want you to have a clear picture of who this is as we're going through this story. He is not simply a man, but he is a rich, young religious ruler in their in their country among their people and that's an important angle on the story so let's pick back up in verse 19 Jesus says you know the commandments he's talking about the ten commandments do not murder do not commit adultery do not steal do not bear false witness do not defraud honor your father and mother and he said to him teacher all these I have kept from my youth Verse 21, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him 
and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But disheartened by the saying, he, the man, went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He had great wealth. Verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Let's stop there. So, New Testament professor and theologian Scott McKnight tells the story of teaching first-year Bible college students. And he said, on the first day of this class of teaching Bible college, teaching a class on the Gospels, he had the students take a very simple test. He had them take a test, we'll call it a Jesus personality test. And they were simply given either or questions to decide, was Jesus outgoing? Was he the life of the party? Or was he a quiet introvert? Did Jesus stay up late or did he get up early? Did he like fish or did he like red meat? Whatever it was, right? It was just a series of questions. Was Jesus this or was Jesus that? And he asked these first year Bible students to fill it out. Well, what he found out pretty much without fail is that everybody believed Jesus was like them, right? Jesus had the same preferences, the same likes and dislikes. Jesus had the same temperament and personality as those students. They pretty much to a person decided, yeah, Jesus is like us. And what we see in this text is we have a young ruler who has pretty much decided that if God is good, then God will be like me. And if Jesus is good and Jesus is worth following, then Jesus will be like me. Rich, young, follow all the rules, have all the right status uh, symbols that he will be just like him. So he expects Jesus to be like him if he's actually going to be good, which is why Jesus says, don't call me good. You don't actually even believe that God is good. What you believe deep down is that you are good. And Jesus sort of sets the trap for him and he takes the bait. Oh, is it the Ten Commandments you want, Jesus? I've kept those since I was a small boy. And what happens is you get this sense in the text of, but how is that working for him? Because here is a man who has everything in the eyes of the world. He has wealth and status. He has a membership to the right club. Drives an electric vehicle and has 2.5 children. He has made it in the eyes of the world. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, he is the right kind of person. And yet, here he is in front of Jesus, 
seeking Jesus' approval. And he asked for eternal life. When he says eternal life, we can substitute the phrase life in the kingdom of God. Because he's not asking about what happens after I die. He's using a very Jewish way of saying what kind of life that has meaning, that has value, that has worth both now and for eternity. He's looking for a life that has eternal value. And there's something about his life, even though he looks the right way and has all the right stuff, there's something about his life that's not quite doing it for him. So I don't know if you can identify with that, that you've done all the right things in life still somehow isn't working. It still somehow isn't what you're looking for. Christian writer Sky Titani says, we shouldn't be surprised to find that when we fixate on what we can attain from God, we fail to experience the peace of his presence in our lives. This man was trying to earn eternal life through his own performance, and it left him unsatisfied. But our story tells us that Jesus tells him exactly what he needs to do to get to the life he's looking for. He tells him to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now, I don't know if you've ever asked someone for like advice or feedback, maybe a, a parent or a friend or a spouse or a teammate or a coworker or a classmate. You asked them for a little feedback, a little advice, and what you really expected was just for them to say something flattering and complimentary. Yeah, you played great tonight. Oh, that dress looks amazing on you. Oh, sure, you'll get that promotion. I'm sure you passed the test. But instead of giving you those words, they instead gave you something a little more direct, a little more honest, maybe a little more instructive than what you were actually hoping for. See, this man wanted Jesus to say, you've got it, man. You did it. You've done all the right things. Congratulations. Pat on the back. But instead, what Jesus does is show him, you say that you want the life God offers. But you might actually, really deep down, want the life that something else offers. And it's also important to name that we know when people tell us hard things, it's often because they love us, that we can hear tough, direct truth from people and still know that they care for us. And Jesus looks at the man, and it's, the story says he loved him. So let's circle, because I think this is important to name. Let's circle the, the words, loved him. Jesus loved him. He cared for him. He cares for us. He cares for you. And that Jesus calls this man to the truth because he desires more for him. And that Jesus wants better for us, more for us than just a self-centered life built around how good we are, and what kind of possessions we have. Because if we want the life that Jesus offers, we cannot also cling to the life that something else, like possessions, offer. Pastor Douglas Jones says, The way of the cross is not about resentment and a reluctant parting with our things. The way of the cross is asks us to imagine a world in which people become more human, 
more divine without the encumbrance of possessions. It is a world of great freedom and joy. It is not a world where possessions are evil, but a world where we rejoice to make sure everyone's needs are met. Give up everything and give it to the poor. See, possessions aren't evil, but they can have a stranglehold on our souls. And the things that God has given us so that we can bless others, we often cling to and it becomes toxic for our lives. This story absolutely rocks us to our core when we read it, doesn't it? This story just shakes us and makes us ask the question, do you need to sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor? I don't know. I don't know. Do you? I do know this. Our possessions can possess us more than we realize and more than we care to admit. Our possessions can possess us. And when we call something other than Jesus good, like ourselves, we always end up looking to something else to give meaning in our lives. So when we call ourselves good, we're looking for something else to give our lives meaning, to affirm that, yes, we are good. For this man, it was the accumulation of possessions. What is it for you? What's giving your life meaning because you're trusting in something other than Jesus? What do we ultimately trust in, and what is it costing our souls? This past week, I saw a news article, you might have seen it, maybe shared on social media, about a sheep in Australia that had been lost for years. He was finally located, and I didn't know this until I saw this story, you might have, but that sheep have to regularly have their fleece cut or it just grows and grows and grows and grows. I had never seen a sheep that had not been shorn on a regular basis, but this is what it looked like. That's 80 pounds of extra fleece. So this is what he looked like when he got uh, transformed, quite shocking. It's like a whole new sheep. 80 pounds. 80 pounds is roughly the size of a human eight-year-old. Brand new sheep, all the weight gone. Can you imagine how free he must have felt with all that off his shoulders? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe we're carrying around a bunch of extra. Maybe we're clinging and holding on to a bunch of extra, and we don't even realize how much it's keeping us from experiencing a full life, from experiencing Jesus, from experiencing the joy of life with other people, and from experiencing the future that God has created us for. To call Jesus good is to depend on his goodness to uniquely lead us to a good future to a future that only Jesus has for us, that we will not get to any other way. What would God be able to do in your life if you had no impediments, if you weren't clinging to extra? What would God be able to do in your life? See, Jesus doesn't just come to this man and ask him, 
to let go of something that's important to him. He asks him to trade something that's toxic for his soul for something that is ultimately good for not only his soul, but good for the lives of others. And what we might find is that once we've experienced the goodness of Jesus, we could want nothing else, and therefore we are free to give everything else away. As the great philosopher Macklemore once said, things are just things. They don't make you who you are. Can't pack up a U-Haul and take it with you when you're gone. What do you need to let go of? Today? Tomorrow? This week? Soon? What do you need to let go of so that you can see that Jesus is good and that only he offers you a life that is good both now and for eternity? This is the only story in the Bible where Jesus directly tells somebody, follow me, and they turn around and walk away. What is the power of possessions in this text? Let's draw a line, if you would. Let's draw a line between verse 22 and 23 because something changes in our text in verse 23. So draw a line just so that you remind yourself, okay, now something is different because Jesus turns aside because the rich young ruler leaves. Jesus turns aside and he starts to talk to his disciples. And this happens several times in the book of Mark. We get to eavesdrop on Jesus sort of like educating his disciples on what they've just seen. Because the disciples would have seen somebody like this rich young ruler as somebody who had made it. He was somebody who had rose to a position of affluence and prominence at a young age. And right before their eyes, Jesus is exposing that his life was not all it was made out to be. In fact, Jesus essentially proclaims, contrary to the belief of the day, that the rich were not favored by God. In fact, he says it was the hardest for anybody with wealth to get into the kingdom because it would be easier for them. It would be easier for a camel, a camel which was the largest known animal in Palestine, to fit through the eye of a needle the smallest possible opening they could imagine. It would be easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. So Jesus is using this absurd analogy to point out the truth that none of us, not a single one of us, no matter how much we have or what we've accomplished, can ever save ourselves. And the point is that those whose life is working for them have the hardest time accepting that. And the rich young ruler finds that it's hard to call Jesus good when you're clinging on to something the world keeps telling you is good enough. And you can feel the anxiety rising in the disciples. Like their whole assumptions about what it means to be good and to have a relationship with God have just been upended. You can feel the anxiety. Jesus, if this guy can't be saved, who in the world could? Christian writer Jenny Allen says anyone can get to heaven no matter how messy his or her life. And by the same token, anyone can be kept out regardless 
of all his or her fancy goodness. So the key to eternal life with God is not our goodness. It is the goodness of Jesus. So finally, I want you to join me. Let's, let's underline this phrase, for all things are possible with God. Because the good news is, as bad as our sin is, Jesus is better. And he's not just trying to make you good in the eyes of the world. He's trying to get you to realize how bad you are and yet to invite you to trust in his goodness instead. That Jesus is inviting us to trade the possibilities of a life built on how good we can be for a life built on how good Jesus is. Lent started a few weeks ago, and I don't know if any of you give up something for Lent or if you gave up something for Lent this year. It's kind of a Catholic practice that Protestants have haphazardly adopted over, over the years. Um, but this year for Lent, I decided to give up for six weeks buying anything, like any kind of consumer product. So anything that I would buy for myself, you know, not I, I can buy food or I can buy essentials, but I wouldn't buy any consumer product like shoes or clothes or running gear or what else you might name. And I'll be honest, it's been hard. And I'll also confess that I may have pre-gamed it. <laughs> if you know what I mean. So the day before Lent started on Fat Tuesday, I may have gotten on the internet and bought a bunch of stuff. <laughs> See if I could like hold over until Easter. And um, the main thing I bought was sort of a, a package of stuff, several items from a store in Texas. And it was, I ordered it on the very same day that Texas experienced the worst winter storm they've had in over a century. Which, if you understand that, means that that package didn't leave Texas for quite a bit of time. Which bummed me out, but I understood. You know, bad weather. And then it gets, I get a notification, you know, 10 days later, oh, your package is on the way. And then, you know, I'm tracking it like you do. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, it's, it's delayed. It'll be there eventually. And then all of a sudden, it's like, it's updating every day. Like, well, it's still in transit. It's just running behind. No location, just in transit. And then it just stopped updating altogether. So my package is in USPS purgatory somewhere. <laughs> you guys see what's happening, right? I mean, I, tr I try. I I'm not sure that God is really that interested in my Lent commitments, but I, I, tried, to I tried to cheat the system. And it's not working out so well for me. I mean, I think what we find is that we place a lot of meaning in all kinds of stuff to give our lives purpose, to make us feel better about ourselves. And, and I find that it's, it's because I'm more worried about my own goodness, right? Because I'm worried about the image I'm presenting. I'm worried about making myself feel better. I'm worried about how I can prove in some form or fashion through image or purchasing how much I'm worth, right? We, when we believe that we are good, we need to find meaning in other things to reinforce that goodness in us. But instead, what if we let go of it? What if we let go of the things that we cling to to 
put meaning in our lives and instead trust that Jesus is good enough and find meaning in the life that only he can offer us. And I think that's where, as Christ followers and as a church, that we are called to find our meaning in Jesus and to see that he is truly good enough to sustain us and to bring us into anything that he would call us to. Let's build our life on the goodness of Jesus, not the goodness of any one of us or even us together. Let's build our life on the goodness of Jesus. Amen?